Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've somehow managed to get to the end of another week in lockdown without self-combusting. But make no mistake, there will be people out there whose suffering has become worse, whose grief will have increased, whose livelihoods will have taken a massive turn for the worse and whose health will have deteriorated significantly. And guess what? None of them will have had COVID. Yesterday it was revealed that the Department of Health is considering paying everyone who tests positive for the virus 500 quid, regardless of whether they want it, need it or even refuse it. No matter how old they are, no matter whether they are unable to work. It's bonkers, isn't it? Meanwhile, the self-employed who have received no help at all still get nothing. Absolutely the square root uh, of what can only be described as sweet FA. In other words, uh, new Pretty Patel has got some news for you as well. The Home Secretary proudly announced yesterday that she would back the police in their handing out of £800 fines to people attending house parties. I can't imagine why anybody would attend a house party, by the way, but there was a comedy moment when one police chief at the briefing yesterday described how one perpetrator was arrested uh, in possession of an amplifier and a couple of speakers. Whatever next... Uh, we'll be asking Stuart Jackson what on earth is going on at the Home Office. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be investigating an extraordinary story from Bath Rugby where PCR testing found 19 positives out of 24 players and staff on Tuesday. It now turns out that thanks to an error at the lab processing those tests, 18 of the 19 were actually wrong and should have in fact been negative. This after the club put over 40 people in 10-day isolation and closed down their entire training facility for a deep clean. What on earth is going on with these labs? 0344 We'll also be going live to the USA to catch up with LaDonna Harvey and find out why nobody's getting worked up about Antifa riots that took place in Portland and Seattle the other night, the same night that Joe Biden was inaugurated. Apparently, Sky and the BBC are far more interested in Lady Gaga and Bruce Springsteen than they are in covering riots. Unless, of course, uh, they're riots from people who support Donald Trump. Interesting, isn't it? Plus, we'll be asking what the new president is planning to do about Saudi Arabia that he was so vocal about before the election. He was going to punish them in all sorts of ways. I wonder whether that's going to happen. Uh, And we'll be asking the Taxpayers Alliance why your average MP now costs £240,000 a year and why peers in the House of Lords are getting free laptops to work from home. Marvellous, isn't it? Great being in the public sector. And because it's Friday, it's time for the Perrier Awards, of course, with producer Marta Malagon. You are listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there's much to talk about, much to do over the course of the next three hours. We'll be talking to Kevin O'Sullivan as well, looking ahead to his show uh, tonight and the big weekend coming up. Right now, though, without further ado, let's go to Stuart Jackson, founder, director of Strategic Council at Political Insight, former advisor, of course, to David Davis. Stuart, very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Let's kick off with the good news. Nissan, um, you know, the naysayers who told us, oh, look what's going to happen. All the car manufacturers are going to move out of England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland and we're going to have no business and there's going to be terrible, terrible, awful trouble economically. Um, doesn't turn out quite to be like that. No, and I think one of the depressing things, unedifying things that we saw a few weeks ago is some of the sort of hardcore remainers on social media uh, exulting at the idea that these so-called stupid gammons in Sunderland who work for Nissan mm. uh, were going to lose their jobs right. and their livelihood and, they'd and voted their income for, for their families. And they'd voted for their own demise, right? Yeah, exactly. And the fact is that I, I always said that big business, including car makers, would have prepared for all eventualities and that the backstop for them was always that a deal was better than no deal and they would make it work. And Nissan have not just said they're going to keep the plant open. They're, uh, they're effectively saying it's going to be the exemplar, the, the template uh, manufacturing plant for the whole of Europe. Mm. And I think that is a big vote of confidence for global Britain post-Brexit. I think it absolutely is. And also, just in general, Stuart, uh, we, we're, we're now sort of, well, three weeks into uh, January, three weeks into uh, completely having left the European Union. Um, and, you know, aside from one or two little, what you might describe as, as kind of bumps in the road, um, it's, it's all going pretty well, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. We've got, we, we've got a situation where the media, parts of the media, in fairness, are looking to uh, basically play up any uh, disruption at the border, any issues such as, you know, cab, uh, the, the uh, lorry drivers having a ham sandwich in their cab being taken by the Dutch customs officials. I mean, if that's the worst that's happening, it's not that bad. I think, as I said, business will have already planned, uh, big logistics businesses will all have already planned some of these changes uh, many, many months ago. I think the government is stepping up to assist in terms of information and advice to businesses and the trade organisations. But of course, there will be some uh, uh, friction at the border. It was always going to be the case if you left the customs union, the single market, and left the bailiwick of the European Court of Justice, you know, a, a situation we've had for 45 years is changing. You are going to have a degree of disruption. Yes. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, Daniel Hannan was saying that to Julie Hartley-Brewer just a, a moment ago. You know, you, you move house, you know, things go wrong that you have to fix, but it doesn't mean you don't move house. It doesn't mean that you actually stop everything uh, in order to fix something that's gone slightly all right. I mean, the story in the front page of the Times this morning about people paying extra VAT on goods coming in from European websites effectively um it's clearly a, a combination of uh, you know european companies not being up to speed with what they're supposed to be doing and also courier companies rather i would say taking advantage yeah and i think the market will drive where those people buy those goods again and for all these people both in the uk and the european union who are saying it's too difficult, there's too much administration, it's too complex for us to continue dealing. Frankly, the market says if there is an opportunity to make money by selling a product, then if it's in Europe now, people in the UK will do it and vice versa. You know, there will not be a gap in the market for very long. And I think the, on that basis, uh, you know, there might be a price spike in the very short term, but I think it'll even out over the course of two or three years as we get used to the procedures. Remember, we're not talking about guys in peak caps, uh, barriers, 
saying, oh, you, your uh, paperwork's not in order, go away. A lot of this now is in advance using digital technology um, and, and it will take a bit of time to bed in. But I think in the long term, those uh, friction costs at the border will be dissipated and the UK will prosper. And as far as the, uh, the the fishing situation is concerned, Stuart, which seems to be another one that people, uh, shall we say, on the rejoin side are picking up on. There was a demo uh, in London the other day with a lot of uh, uh, trucks from various points around the country. Um, but an awful lot of those companies apparently were not actually uh, dealing in getting fish out of the sea. They were more about, you know, moving fish around the country once somebody else had done that. Well, I'm touched by the deep interest and concern of people like A.C. Grayling and <laughs> Alistair Campbell and their, their long and proud history of sticking up for uh, fishermen. If you remember, Bob Geldof stuck two fingers up to the fishermen yes, on the I Thames. I saw it for myself. I was on the terrace of the House of Commons. It yeah. was disgraceful. Right. Um, and now they're, they're experts on all things pescatorian. Uh, you know, frankly, it's, it's ridiculous. The, the, the fact is, the political reality was that fishing is a tiny proportion of GDP. It was never going to be the case that we were going to crash a multi-billion uh, euro deal, a trade deal over many years on the basis of that. Mm. I, I don't think it's the best deal for fishermen, but I think it's probably the best that could be achieved at that stage. And at the end of the day, they will be able to build up their capacity. Their jobs will be secured. And, you know, fish, fishing and fish processing will be, a, again, a viable mm. industry. But we can't go back in time. We're not 1973. And things have moved on. Well, that's the thing. I mean, after 40 years of running the business down and running the industry effectively out of the country and handing it all over to European fishing fleets, you can't hardly expect us to suddenly start ramping up immediately the numbers of, uh, of, of trawlers that we can put into the water. But clearly the deal over the course of five years will allow time for that to happen, right? But also, you're absolutely right, Mike, but, but the other thing people forget is that British people have a, a very definite taste in what fish they want to eat. And it's different to what European folk want to eat. So it's pointless to catch stuff to try and land it in the UK, to catch fish in the UK in UK ports to try and sell it to the British public who don't want it when uh, a continental fisherman can catch that fish and uh, and put it to market in the European Union. I, I just think we have to be pragmatic and sensible about this. There will be an increase in the market. There will be more investment. We, we are uh, an independent maritime nation again, and it is ultimately for us to decide who fishes in our waters. But we've also got to understand the real politic of it. And, you know, it was not wise to put everything on fishing and crash the deal on that basis. No, I think that's absolutely right. Let's move to um, to what's going on uh, in Downing Street. I mean, obviously, what happened in the last month has been very, very difficult for Boris Johnson in terms of this new uh, COVID variant that, that suddenly popped up on the 18th of December. Um, you know, people, I think, in this country are being reasonably kind of tolerant I think, through this, incredibly tolerant, actually, uh, of, of the lockdown, because it looks as though we ain't going to come out of it anytime soon. Um, but I've been asking all week, and certainly a lot of uh, Tory backbench MPs now are joining the need for us to get a roadmap of some kind out of here, um, you know, in terms of working out at what point we set a target for businesses to reopen and for schools to go back. Yeah, and Mark Harper, who is uh, a very 
experienced uh, member of parliament, former chief whip, leading the COVID recovery group, has made that point consistently since before Christmas mm. that Boris's raison d'etre, frankly, is sunlit uplands, being positive, being forward-looking and optimistic. And I think that's what he's got to be. He's got to give people hope. And let's be honest, vaccinating 5 million people in two, well, two or three weeks, probably a little over three weeks, is a fantastic achievement, the fourth best in the world. Uh, let's see people quoting that when, when they go on to constantly quote about our fatality figures and don't look at the other side of the coin. Of course, it's tragic people have died, mm. but it's also amazing that we've got so much um, uh, capacity in vaccine. British expertise and, and knowledge has brought forward those vaccines and our armed forces and others in the NHS have, have vaccinated that many people. In fact, half a million people have had two vaccines. So I think that's on the positive side. But you're right, we do need a proper strategy. We don't need gimmicks like £500 um, just for sitting at home. I, I understand what the position is, mm. because you look at the pictures of people crowding onto the tube trains, uh, and of course you get a knee-jerk reaction from Sadiq Khan as ever, yeah. uh, a gimmick. But... There, there is a concern about that, but I do think there needs to be a sector by sector analysis and proper strategic plan of leaving lockdown and the impact that's going to have on the economy. And, and I think that's what Downing Street needs to be thinking about now to keep its backbenchers on board. I think that's right. And if there are people crowding onto trains, that's because they need to go to work, Stuart, as well. Because don't forget, yeah. there's a huge uh, swathe of people, millions of people, who've received absolutely nothing from this government because they're self-employed, because they work in the gig economy, because they haven't been able to provide enough um, you know, paperwork to, 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 uh, to support whatever their claim would be. I mean, I'd rather see them getting money before they start handing out 500 quid for a positive test. I agree. And, you know, one of my friends said to me this week that uh, he'd heard rumours that they were trying to close down every building site in London yeah. because too many people were coming in between six and eight in the morning. Well, you know, this time of the year, construction workers cannot be on construction sites in the darkness with 100 percent safety. There are going to be accidents. So, of course, people have to travel very early to, to get the light as soon as they can and work through the day. If you close down the construction industry in Greater London, you're going to have a big hit for the economy. And I just think people have got to be sensible and not abuse the tolerance and understanding of the British public. You know, people need to see a way out and they need to make money. And if you only earn money, if you turn up for work, you know, you're, you are going to be struggling now not just financially, you're going to be struggling with depression and anxiety and worries about looking after your kids and the, your long-term future. And that's why the banks need to think about the way they're treating people, the insurance companies. I'm glad they got one in the eye the other day uh, and they had to pay out because yeah. that would have been a disgrace. Mm. You know, we've all got to pull together to try and help each other on this occasion because it, it will end. Vaccine is the light at the end of the tunnel, but as they say... Uh, it's darkest before the dawn, mm. and now it feels pretty dark. Well, it does, Stuart. And I mean, you talk to people uh, in the Conservative Party and, and in government. I mean, do they? Because the, the sense that a lot of people have, particularly what those working in, in businesses that, that really are struggling, 
people working in hospitality and other areas uh, that need to be up and running gyms, for example, and that kind of thing. You know, there's a sense from a lot of those people that the government isn't taking their pain into consideration, that their only focus is COVID and, and trying to stop the, the rate of infections, which, which seems pretty impossible as a task in, in general. But there's a sense that there's no one actually sort of speaking up for them in the room, if you know what I mean, that, that the collateral damage of this is really, really damaging. Yeah, I, I, I think so. But but then again, this is completely uh, unexpected, unprecedented. I think infections are now falling. So hospital admissions will fall, but there's a lag of about two weeks, I think. Mm. So in two weeks' time, God willing, we will see fewer beds occupied in ICUs, fewer ventilators, fewer people presenting at hospital with symptoms of COVID, but it will take time. I do agree with you. Uh, I think on an individual basis, members of parliament are representing the most uh, vulnerable people, not just in terms of health, but in terms of the economy and financial viability. But we we just have to accept that there will be some difficult decisions that the chancellor's had to take. I mean, I'm self-employed. I haven't had any help at all thus far. Uh, and it's been, you know, tough. Mm. And I'm, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm fortunate. My circumstances, I can probably get through it. But but I, I do think um, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I, I'm, I have to say I'm less persuaded by people like Sting and Elton John writing, uh, asking for taxpayer <laughs> handouts, you know, as if they'd never toured anywhere apart from the European Union. Right. They never needed to get visas in Brazil, right. South Africa, Canada, United States. I mean, there is, there is a certain um, lack of empathy on my part for those for those guys i can understand live music's important but there are in my opinion bigger priorities well they really are absolutely right Stuart, great to talk to you thanks very much indeed Stuart jackson founder director of strategic council at political insight former conservative mp of course former special advisor to david davis let's talk a bit about how brexit is going because if you've got a problem uh, with what you think is going on i'd love to hear what it is oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand we hear all the time uh, from the snp up in scotland uh, that they have been taken out of the european union against their will uh, which of course is absolutely utter nonsense because that is not the case for an awful lot of people in Scotland who actually voted for Brexit for heaven's sake. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call us on. Don't forget, uh, we want to hear your stories. We want to know what you're doing, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're being told, what the landscape is like where you are uh, living, uh, what you're able to do uh, and how the police are operating because we're going to talk a lot about the police coming up in this show uh, in terms of what was said by Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, yesterday. Uh, don't forget, we're live streaming on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The end of Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Much for us to do between now and one o'clock when Ian Collins is here, of course. Mark Dolan coming up from four. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan will join us in a little while. That's what's coming up on this show tonight as well. Yesterday, uh, you may have watched Pretty Patel giving a... Uh, press briefing uh, in Downing Street. She was flanked by Martin Hewitt, chairman of the National Police Chiefs Council. And I have to say, uh, even I uh, raised an eyebrow uh, when I heard him saying that amongst the people that they had arrested recently uh, were people having house parties illegally. Uh, but they arrested somebody who was in possession of an amplifier and some speakers. And I must admit, um, you know, poor old Chris Hobbs, who I'm about to speak to, former Metropolitan Police officer, must be um, wondering 
what on earth has happened to the society in which we live when people are getting arrested for being in possession of speakers and amplifiers? Chris, a very good morning to you. Yeah, hi, Mike. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm re I realise this is a bigger problem than uh, than I'm making out at the moment in terms of people shouldn't be having house parties, they shouldn't be having raves, they shouldn't be having, you know, secret sort of, you know, mass gatherings. But, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know if you watched it yesterday, but it was very weird to see the police having to respond in the way that they are having to respond to people with sort of basically with walking down the street with some hi-fi equipment. I think there's probably a bit more to it than that, Mike. I suspect that they had very good information that he was um, going to be involved, either was or about to be involved in, in one of these house parties. Yes. No, uh, no, I totally get that. I'm, I mean, I'm obviously being slightly flippant, but it, is, but it is a measure of how far we've come since a year ago that this is where we are now. To be quite honest, Mike, I must admit, uh, you know, I, I've had COVID, as I think I mentioned before. I had yeah. it back in March, uh, mildly, but but it gave me a healthy respect for it. Mm. Um, and now, now we've got this dreadful um, new variant that appears to be spreading like wildfire. And, and just this morning, Mike, I was just typing out a message of condolence to the Territorial Support Group because mm. they lost one of their own this morning right. on news, a 37-year-old PC. Uh -huh. Um, so, so I think this new variant really is absolutely dreadful. It is spreading like wildfire. Mm. And we're seeing this, aren't we, on these um, news broadcasts from the hospitals now. Yes. Uh, oh, listen, there's no, there's no question about the seriousness of it. And, and I wouldn't in any way suggest that, that, that it's not serious. But, you know, I'm just, I suppose, seeking your um, guidance on what it is that the police are now being asked to do. Because the police's job has changed dramatically from actually stopping and preventing crime. Um, to, to, to sort of COVID measures more or less all the time. Well, no, it's not all the time, Mike. Um, I mean, there's certainly now, I think, um, a fresh impetus coming from the government to police to actually do more mm. because of the new variant. I think if you actually look on, on the first lockdown, the number of tickets issued per force per day was something like less than four. Yeah. So they were very much engaged, explaining, engaging, and uh, but but now I think the situation's changed. And of course, you have got these people: the party in Stamford Hill, the Travellers' Party the other night, where police officers got hurt. Yeah, the I mean, that beggars belief, doesn't it? Four hundred people at a wedding. Well, it does. It, it really does. And and you have to say, you wonder where some of these people are. But you're still getting people on um, on social media, thousands of them, who are telling us that this is all fake, that the hospitals, news from the hospitals is all fake. Um, yeah, but nobody sensible takes any notice of them, surely. Well, again, the police do. <laughs> um, we, we've had demonstrations, haven't we? We've had protests. You remember the one outside St Thomas's Hospital on New Year's Eve? I do. Where, yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was absolutely dreadful. But, and there's supposed to be a protest, I'm not going to say where it is, mm. but somewhere in, in the north of England uh, this weekend, yeah. um, where they're using sort of flash mob tactics to try and show a presence on the streets. Yes, and I noted that uh, that situation down in Bournemouth recently was not as it would at first appear on, on social media. You know, people, people set up these kind of sting operations almost and get the police to come and arrest them and then make out they're being arrested for drinking a cup of coffee when, in fact, that's not quite what's going on. No, and, and, and you will get cases, and, and the newspapers are very much hunting them down, where you will get perhaps instances like the two ladies with the coffee where people say, mm, hold on, that's a bit over the top. Mm. Um, but, but they're really, when you look at the millions, literally, of uh, interactions there's been during this COVID period between police and the public, I mean, 99.9% .9 are fine. Um, and then you get the odd one that, that grabs all the headlines. It, I call it collective smearing for some, you know, for some reason. If something goes wrong with the police, every police officer gets smeared with the same sort of allegation. So mm. if someone is a bit overzealous, 
every police officer seems to cop a packet for it, which yeah. seems a bit unfair at the moment. And, of course, the police are having to double crew. They're, they're in carriers, aren't they? They're having to deal with people um, who clearly, for one reason or another, maybe not of their own, own fault, but people who, who pay no regard at all to the current restrictions who are in place. So they feel very vulnerable at, as well. And, of course, they have to go back to their families, as do doctors, nurses mm. and, uh, and shop workers, all those people who are battling away in the front line at the moment. Yes, and some police chiefs have already called for the, the vaccination uh, of police officers to be kind of moved up the, the league a bit. Um, would, you, would you sort of echo that? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, when you see them, you know, doing their best with these demonstrations, breaking up these parties. And, and, and of course, the other thing is, Mike, they, they go to calls, what are called welfare calls. Mm. So if you've got an old person whose relatives live in another part of the country and they say, we're worried about grandma, we haven't heard from her, then the police will go knock on grandma's door, make sure she's all right. If she's not all right, they will make sure she's all right. Mm. Like getting all the attention she needs, doing the shopping. None of that is ever mentioned, but police are getting thousands and thousands of these calls that they have to deal with. Yeah. And of course, we don't know whether a vaccination protects from transmission, but you'd like to think that officers attending these sort of calls will be protected um, and maybe protecting the people they're going to help. So logically, you, you would have to say the government really should perhaps be doing a little bit more for police, not jumping the queue in terms of nurses, doctors and so on, but putting the police up there and getting them done. Oh, as I think they should possible. certainly be, be as high up the list as they could possibly be before uh, people who are not actually having to deal with members of the public, because surely that should be a proviso, shouldn't it? I mean, if you're in a, in a situation where you're coming into contact with people in the public who you do not know, I think you should absolutely be uh, first in line. Exactly. And, and you'd like to think as well that the government are trying to build bridges with the police at the moment mm. um, after the disasters of the last few years. Um, but again, this, this isn't really a sign of good faith. There doesn't seem to be a lot of sympathy for the police and what they're doing from government. Just this instruction, well, we want you to crack down a bit harder than you have been doing. Yeah. So I think the government could and, and really should do, should do more because it really is a torrid time to be a police officer. The number of times they've been coughed at or spat over or threatened with this, with this terrible virus. And now, of course, they're going along to these events mm. and they're getting attacked. Yeah. Do you think the police are getting better at handling it all, though, as well? Because I think there, would, there have been occasions where the police have been, uh, uh, quite rightly, in my view, criticised for being a bit overzealous. Because, I mean, obviously, I know it's difficult, and, and, and I won't expect you to agree with me on this, Chris, but, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sort of taking a step back is, is the best thing to do. Other times it's not. But, you know, it seems to me that we're seeing less um, incidents now of the police kind of overstepping the mark, if you like. Yeah, I, I'm not sure we are, actually. I think, I think there's still being publicised and, and to a certain extent you say yes but it's got to be balanced mm. because it doesn't happen that often and when it does happen you, you seem to get newspapers especially certain newspapers be they right or left seem to suggest that this is the norm mm. and and yes and, and sometimes of course a police officer's having a bad day yes you know some of the things he may have been dealing with um or it could be some someone in his family's sick with it there's all sorts of reasons mm. where 
perhaps police aren't maybe quite as tolerant as, as they should be because we all have bad days and police officers with some of the things they're dealing with at the moment, Mike, the stabbings are still going on, yeah. you know, some of the terrible things, road accidents still happen right. and this is something else they've got layered on top and of course they themselves are vulnerable and their families are vulnerable so a very difficult time to be a police officer mm. and you'd like to think that certain sections of the media will be a little bit more sympathetic and understanding to the issues that they do face out there. Yes, no, indeed, absolutely. Chris, thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Chris Holtz, former Metropolitan Police Officer, uh, speaking on behalf of the police, as you would expect him to do. Uh, I know that not everybody would support what Chris has to say, but I think on balance, by and large, apart from a few, um, I'd say a handful of incidents with the cops not getting it right and perhaps overstepping the mark, like the one we saw in Scotland, not the one we saw in Bournemouth, because that was a very different uh, kettle of fish to what it was supposedly uh, described as. But I think by and large, they seem to be getting it right. Now, as I said, it does seem a bit ridiculous to have, you know, the idea of a police officer kind of uh, apprehending a perpetrator as he walks down the road with some speakers and an amplifier. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, that's not really what's happening. It's a guy who's absolutely gearing up for a big party. Uh, many of these parties are going on more probably than we know. Um, and the trouble is, of course, that as long as those parties are supposedly illegal, they shouldn't be happening. It's that simple. 0344 499 1000. I'm not going to sit here and start blaming people for spreading COVID. However, uh, you should expect if you are having a party and there are 15 or more people there, you're going to get done. You're going to get fined and they're going to keep fining you until you haven't got any money left. So it might not be worth it. Do you know what I'm saying? 0344 499 1000. Don't forget, we're live streaming on YouTube or on Facebook and on Twitter. This is Talk Radio. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Time to say very good morning to Dr. Simon Clark. Simon, how are you doing? Good morning, Mike. Nice to talk to you. I mean, I was um, uh, not, I'm not going to say encouraged, but at least uh, it looks as though the, the, the death figure yesterday had gone down a little from the previous two days. Is that uh, something that we should be seeing as a pattern emerging? Is that something that you, you could feel confident in saying perhaps we've seen a peak? 
Not just one day's data, I'm afraid not, no. And given the fact that uh, the hospitalizations, although they've been arguably going down for the past couple of weeks, I think it's perhaps a bit too early to say that uh, it's on the downward trend. Mm. Hopefully, though, it is. I mean, there will be a day when the, the corner is turned, but um, I don't think we can say with any certainty that we're there yet. I mean, 1,800 plus was a pretty terrifying number, wasn't it? It, it is. It's, it's a big number. And when you get... Uh, spikes like that, sort of uh, unusually high numbers. The fact that you get an unusually low number the next day, perhaps, or a lower number than you've been having previously, mm. not too much of a surprise. No, quite. As far as the vaccine goes, um, incredible achievement to have hit 5 million, I think, so quickly. And I think everybody realises that Britain has done a brilliant job here. Um, but some areas are now slowing down a little bit. I've seen a story uh, today in The Telegraph suggesting that uh, there's uh, one part of uh, East Sussex, only one surgery is vaccinating elderly people in an area covering 200 square miles. I mean, again, I realise there's a massive operation and I'm not being particularly critical. Yeah. Um, but is it wise to slow down the rollout of the vaccine, even if it is so that other parts of the country can catch up? Well, this is all a bit opaque. Is it, it Has this happened because that they want to allow other areas to catch up? Or is it just that that area has used up its allocation and there's not very much left? I don't think we've got a clear picture on that. No. We don't know how many uh, doses are going to be uh, made available to, to clinics on what dates. Although, given the government has set itself a target, you'd expect, I think we'd hope, that it knows that it's going to have at least that number of jabs to administer in that time frame. Yeah, I mean, 363,000 plus administered yesterday. That's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, it is good, yeah. I mean, hats off to the people who are doing this. It's a colossal effort, uh, but we will need to get faster and better at this. But uh, uh, Rome wasn't built in a day. These things uh, <laughs> have to build up. Well, that's right. I mean, you, last time you and I spoke, I think we talked about herd immunity and you were saying sort of something like 70% of the population would need to have either been vaccinated or indeed had got the infection. What do you make of yeah. this suggestion? And it may well be that they reversed the idea as well um, about possibly paying people who get a, a positive test Presumably, that's in, effort, in an effort to try and get more people tested. I, I think that's what it is. Yeah, there's a suggestion, an idea that the Department of Health that really a minority of people with the virus are getting tested and they need to drive that number up. You can't uh, control things. You can't control people who've got the virus unless you know they've got it. And uh, I think that's an incentive to try and get people to get tested, yeah, yeah because if, if it comes to pass. Yes, because I think there is a certain amount of reluctance, particularly if you've got a job where you only get paid if you actually show up, um, where people are saying to themselves, well, listen, what happens if I get a, a test, even if I'm not, if I don't feel unwell? Um, obviously, I'd have to not be able to go to work. And so perhaps if there is an amount of money made available to them, that might convince them. But, but it seems to be a bit wrong-headed to me to give people money if they don't need it. Uh, well, I would agree with you on that score. Um, but uh, there is there will also be people who think that uh, that uh, uh, if they get a test, their lives, even if they, they're, they're on full sick pay, like I would be, um, will be impinged in a way that they don't really want to be bothered with. So maybe £500 is an incentive uh, uh, to get them to test. Um, ordinarily, I'd agree with you there. But there are, of course, 
other ways of looking at these things. No, sure. I've got a, a text here from Stella in Manchester, who's a, a refugee from the dark side. She says, to get the test, the cost is about £150, both ways, £300 for a family of four, etc. That's quite expensive. She says, it's extortion, especially for a certificate that's not worth the paper it is written on, uh, because she's asking about the unreliability of these tests. And I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you've seen this story from Bath Rugby, today uh, in which they put out a statement they had their usual round of PCR testing on Tuesday the 19th of January the club was notified that 19 of the 24 league-wide positive results comprised Bath rugby players and staff so basically 19 out of 24 people tested positive they shut down their training ground uh, they sent something like 40 people who had been associated with all these other people home for 10 days of isolation it then turned out that the lab got it wrong and actually only one of the 19 tests was positive and all the rest were actually negative. Uh, yeah, any test. That, well, first off, you've got to remember that no test is ever 100% accurate. They do not exist. And any test can be messed up. And I imagine a premiership rugby team, like a premiership football team, will be having its uh, uh, testing done privately. It's certainly not something that the NHS would do. Mm. And of course, uh, done wrong, uh, any test is going to give you wrong answers. So Bath Rugby are going to have to be having a word with the, whichever company it is. Yeah, they're talking company. about a lab called Randox, I think. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I'm familiar with Randox. I've heard of Randox, yes. Right. Uh, and they, interestingly, uh, have at least in the past, and I think still do, run some of the test and tracing labs. Right. Yeah, but I mean, it's a bit disturbing, is it not, that they can get so much of it wrong, isn't it? I mean, how could that happen? It is. Well, there are a number of ways it could be got wrong. The, the test could not be administered properly. Things could be contaminated. Uh, uh, there could be errors in the lab, although that's less likely. Uh, I've got to say, as somebody who's had the test, thankfully it came back negative before Christmas, mm. um, that uh, in my estimation, the test centre I went to just outside Oxford was uh, very stringent and very uh, careful in the way it handled the test. Right. So um, while these, these errors can happen, uh, I've not seen evidence from my, my limited uh, experience yeah. that it's a massive problem. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because obviously an awful lot, I mean, not so much now, because we, we know now the numbers uh, are, are so much bigger than they were back in sort of October and, and September yeah. in particular. But in terms of the, the, the public policy and the decisions that were being made by the government, an awful lot of it was based on so many people testing positive. And so, I mean, it would be good, would it not, to be, to be getting the testing system better and more efficient? Uh, testing uh, uh, can always be made better yeah. and one would hope and expect that they're doing that um, uh, you know without knowing what's exactly going on in the labs I can't comment but uh, I don't think that there is widespread errors I certainly don't think that the test and tracing system is picking up errors or, or giving false positives to the extent that Bath Rugby had um, that certainly uh, wouldn't be borne out by uh, the number of people that are turning up to yeah. hospitals struggling to breathe. No sure because I'm interesting in, 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 I'm interested in this as well because like the antibody test which which people get um, I mean I know somebody for example who tested positive and who did have Covid um, when yeah. the Covid was passed and, and a negative test came back it didn't show any antibodies and is that quite often the case because people are puzzled I think because I know I mean again I know plenty of people who've said they've had it because they've tested positive and they were unwell um, but then they didn't have any antibodies apparently like a month later. Uh, that can happen different people lose their antibodies at different rates I know I know a couple of people that have had uh, um, uh, classic symptoms a positive virus test yeah. so they had Covid 
and have failed one or two antibody tests. When I say failed, it, it's come back negative. Mm. Now, the early tests back in the spring, I think it's fair to say, were very, or some of them were very, very unreliable. Right. Um, so it depends what test you had. Nowadays, that's less of a problem. Um, but even so, you could still come back with a negative test because your antibodies have, have dropped away to right. an undetectable level. And if that's the case, does that mean that you could get it again then? It's entirely possible, yes. And we've got always to remember when people talk about antibodies that there are other bits of the immune system that are important as well, the famous T cells, although they can um, uh, dwindle away in, in much the same way as antibodies and the cells that produce antibodies can. Mm. So just looking at antibodies is a bit like just worrying about the string section in an orchestra. You've got everything else to worry <laughs> about as well. Yes, funnily enough, I heard somebody describing uh, looking at an elephant's tail on Julie Hartley Brewer's show this morning with regard to <laughs> one particular thing that was that was kind of standing out without looking at the entire uh, creature. What do you make of the, the other suggestion of shutting down UK borders? Because I think, again, a lot of people have asked about the efficacy of this lockdown, not least because of the uh, the financial damage that it's doing and, and, the, and the untold sort of health damage that it's doing as well. Um, when so many people are still kind of out and about and people are still coming into the country and people are still, um, you know, going about their daily business. Well, what's motivating the government here, I think, is the possibility of new variants of the virus uh, which have cropped up in Brazil, have cropped up in South Africa, and could crop up anywhere else, mm. including the UK. The, the, these things don't just happen once, they happen multiple times in multiple places. Yeah. Of course, they want to reduce the risk of it ending up in the UK and, and restricting people coming into the country, however strict they want to be about that, will have some impact. But uh, it won't guarantee it. And, you know, we're not South Korea. Oh, sorry, North Korea. Right. Um, we, we, we are not a closed society. And it's all very well people um, talking about places like uh, Australia and New Zealand. They are at the end of international uh, travel corridors. Mm. The UK sits in the middle of a lot of those international travel corridors, so it's a bit more difficult. It's not impossible, but no. it is more difficult. No, I, I, I accept that. I mean, I was at the airport not that long ago, and I was quite surprised to see how many flights were coming in from certain parts of the, of the world, including <laughs> China, by the way, um, where I saw one guy came off the plane wearing a full kind of um, forensic suit, complete with those uh, shoes that they wear in the, you know crime yeah. scenes. But, you know, it, it is difficult, but I mean, I guess when you look at all those countries, I mean, I was reading about Taiwan the other day, and they have now more or less eradicated it. People are back mingling as normal, everything's open, but they did have a very, very good test and trace system and track system, um, and they did shut down the country. Uh, yeah, that's what they did. Um, and I will say that other places have uh, or believed that they've got it completely under control and cracked it, and then find it cropping up. Uh, there are a number of reasons why that could be. So while doing what the Taiwanese did um, can have uh, uh, an effect, can get you where you want to be. You're not guaranteed to stay there. But that does seem to be the issue, doesn't it? Because whatever we do, um, it doesn't seem that anything will completely eradicate this particular virus. And so therefore, I guess the problem is going to be handling it better. Are you seeing any sort of new patterns emerging in January in terms of how it's infecting people or where people are getting infected? Uh, well, it's, in being, it's infecting people uh, more readily than it did six months ago, say, because it's changed. It, it's a more infectious 
virus version of the virus now uh where if somebody gets it then uh they're likely to produce far more virus than than they would have done six months ago and that presumably is the key to its success because you'll cough out more virus into the outside world and increase the risk of somebody picking those up mm. uh, by either by touching something or by breathing it in right and in terms of the vaccine rollout i mean if you've got five million now um, we're hopeful that by February the 15th, certainly the top four tiers of the most vulnerable people uh, should then be covered. Um, where do you stand on, on in, in vaccinating people like police officers who are asking to be sort of bumped up the, the list a little bit and, and also, yeah. uh, of course, teachers? I can completely understand why uh, they, they, they lobby for that. And I think it's perfectly right and proper that their unions and their professional associations and the police federation lobby for that. And Cressida Dick did, did exactly the same thing. That's their job. But if they want to influence the decision of JCVI and politicians the other week were enjoying telling us how none of this was their decision. It was all done by medics and scientists at the JCVI. Now we're getting politicians lobbying for certain groups. Mm depending on where they sit politically. Um, which one is it? Is it a political decision or is it a JCVI decision? Well, I think, I think I can answer that for you, Simon. I mean, anything uh, uttered by a politician is always political because they don't know any other way. <laughs> they don't know any other way to do it, I'm afraid. I mean, I just don't No, believe... you're, you're, you're quite right. But uh, do they shut up and let, let uh, JCVI get on with it? Well, what I particularly... Because well, if I... they're making the decisions, they can carry the can. Yes, what I particularly enjoy is uh, uh, politicians who criticise anyone who asks questions about government policy on the grounds they don't know what they're talking about because they're not scientists meanwhile the politicians aren't scientists either uh, you're, you're spot on there um some of the stuff you hear or some of the stuff i hear from com comes out of some people's mouths not everybody is just mind-blowing it really is no absolutely right let me read you just one more t uh, text that i've got here from ben in lancaster and it's about the testing system again mike could you please address the fact that this week the w the, the world health organization issued amended guidance on the use of the pcr test for diagnosing sars covid 2 the virus that causes covid 19 the cycle threshold had previously been set far too high leading to huge inaccuracies and false positives we surely will now see a reduction in the number of cases of, uh, of whose guidance is followed as you said earlier simon i mean it's it's the, the argument about the false positives has kind of been overtaken by the number of people getting infected but but what do you mm -hmm. make of what the world health organization said there? well i remind the listeners that uh the world health organization is not the police it doesn't lay the law down on any of this uh I, i'm not sure uh how much their their advice has been peer-reviewed by other people so they don't get to set the frameworks they just offer a piece of advice they're mm. uh some people seem to think that they are a global authority, like the sort of uh, health equivalent of the uh, the, uh, the uh, UN Security Council. No. They're not. No, indeed. I mean, I was reminded. I think it was last week that it was the an it was the anniversary, the one year anniversary of their tweet that they sent out saying that uh, this new COVID um, virus that had been found in China. Uh, was not transmissible between humans, according to the Chinese officials at the time. So, I mean, that's how good yeah, they are. Well, there you afraid. go. So, well, they didn't get that one very, very well right at all. Dr. Simon Clark, thank you very much indeed. Virology expert, microbiologist at the University of Reading. Uh, you heard it here, uh, right now, on Talk Radio. Uh, not to be taken too seriously, the World Health Organization. So, there you go. So, I don't know why Joe Biden's bothered getting back in touch with them uh, to rejoin it. Donald Trump left it, of course. Um, and so, not everything they say... Uh, should be taken uh, with a great degree of positivity.
I think would be the best way to put it. 0344 499 1000. We'll take some calls coming next on Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're going to go to some calls now because that's what we do. We like to talk to the real people of this country to find out how uh, they're actually doing. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to Hayley, uh, who's down in, is it Marazian in Cornwall? Hi there. Thanks for coming back. Hi. Um, it's Marazion. Marazion, sorry. Okay. That's right. No, right. that's fine. Whereabouts is that, Hayley? Um, it's near St. Michael's Mount. Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah. Lovely yeah, part so Lovely part of the world. Not, it is lovely. It's not far from Penzance also. Okay. So, right. Yeah. What can I do Thank for you, Hayley? I just want people to know that some things are so wrong what they're doing because I've lost my Charlie, my children have lost their daddy, and... You have to forgive me, I'm sorry. Um, Charlie um, was in very good health up until, um, I've got the date, yeah. Unfortunately, I had multiple cirrhosis, so I can't remember dates and things. It's a bit stupid, but um, anyway. um, The first call um, to 999 was on Friday, um, and I've got the date here. It was like a week or two ago now. um, But there had been no other underlying health condition with with Charlie, and um, he he started to create a pain in his tummy. And um, that progressed, and and I said I had to call you an ambulance, Charlie, and so I did. And that the I've got the dates wrote down here. And mm. um, it was Friday um, at about five to eleven um, on the Friday. Okay. And I I continued to call them for Charlie. And, and Charlie, Charlie's your husband, Holly, is he? He's my partner. Your partner, yeah. Yes. Um, and the last call um, to 999 was on the Saturday, the next day at 4.23. Okay. Um, and I was I, I did other calls to them. And what they do, they've got like a checklist, it must be, like a tick box thing. Right. And the last two questions were, does he have a sense of taste or any sense of smell? Right. And that's what they finished on. And and I was just so desperate for this ambulance to come for him. He was he was violently sick. Right. Um, he was He was... He then, um, as they, he had acute pain. He was screaming. We've got four little girls here in the house, and it was it was awful, awful, awful. Anyway, in the end, um, the paramedics um, turned up, and um, subsequently there were four paramedics we had, and they tried to save Charlie, but they couldn't. And and it's just so wrong, so so wrong. How, so it was at seventeen hours for them to arrive. Yeah, and did they explain 17. why it had taken them such a long time? No, because I, 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 subsequent calls I made to 999, I was worried they wouldn't find us here because mm. um, we're a bit out of the way, you know, right. from the main road and things. Yeah. And and one of the calls I made after that, that they then wanted, uh, they, they then asked for um, um, more help to come, more mm. further paramedics to arrive. And they asked me to walk right up to the end of the drive and flag down um, um, an ambulance. Right. Um, but in were the they, end, were they so he, he they didn't take him away because he died in your house. Yes, but he was he was alive when um, they arrived and right. they did everything. They were wonderful. These four paramedics we had, mm. they were wonderful, and they said to me afterwards that this should not have happened, and they can report it themselves yeah. how long it took for an ambulance to arrive for Charlie. Right. Um, but, and was it just because they didn't send one out soon enough, or was it a delay because well, they, they, they were no, all they doing something else? Checklist. They they have a triage that yeah. they operate by, right. and it, it it just failed. Charlie, appalling, really appalling, and they, they were complaining themselves when they they got back. And mm. um, so then we had the undertakers arrive, and my four 
girls. I mean, horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. Just awful. How old was uh, Charlie? He was fifty-four. Okay. And and did and, they know? Um, do they know what was wrong with him? Well, we had to have the um, what do you call it? The um, an like an inquest. It, yeah, that well, that type of thing. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember the actual name of it. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so we had to wait for that, mm. and um, I can tell you exactly what it was. Um, it was a small bowel infarction um, mm. with um, a significant decrease in blood flow yes. and to the intestine. And these so things it's like a sort of internal hemorrhage or something. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dear but me. Just left me the worst situation. I'm, I'm, as I say, I've got multiple cirrhosis. Yeah. And I, we relied on Charlie for so many things um, that Daddy did. Um, and it's just appalling. So appalling. It's and just horrible. So I'm, 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 I'm under such pain of the, the loss for my girls. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I don't know what to do. It's really awful. Hayley, I'm so sorry. What's the um, what's the trust that you're you're in there? Is it Cornwall the NHS Trust? Yeah, um, yes, it isn't the hospital's fault. It was the um, the, the call handlers, at the nine 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 calls. Yeah. Um, we have a very good MP, um, Derek Thomas MP, mm. and I've spoken to him, and he's trying to get to the bottom of it, and he's 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 on it. But in the meantime, it doesn't help the children, does it? No, of course not. Um, yeah, so I'm on um, the only thing that they're in receipt of for them personally is the free school meals, and mm. they sent me through um, a paper form of it so I can go wherever I can go to um, get these free school meals. But I've the bill for the um, I've had to borrow money for the funeral. I mean, why aren't they paying for that, Mike? Yeah, I know it's, it's just terrible. awful. I, I, feel, I feel so bad for you, Haley. Listen, thank you so much for for calling. It's very brave of you to tell us the story and and. You have my deepest sympathy. Um, if we can, we'll try and raise it with the uh, the ambulance people and find out what went wrong, just because you should at least be given an explanation as to why they took such a long time to find you and to get to you, uh, uh, albeit that it was way too late to save Charlie, your partner. What a terrible situation. Poor Haley. she's got three children, she suffers from MS, and her husband, her partner rather, uh, has passed away before her very eyes. And there is no excuse for that. Nobody's suggesting... Uh, that that might be down to uh, the lockdown scenario. However, what it is uh, an indication of is that things are going wrong in lots of different ways and they need to be put right. There ought to be a situation where that can never happen, surely, to heavens. It's not asking too much, is it? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Practically full compliance, not entirely 99.5%, I'd have to say. Um, mm. Welcome, Marta Malagon is here, hello. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Perry Awards. This is where we look back over mm. the past week of the so-called, so-called Independent Republic of My Grandma on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments. Uh, before I begin, because I know tradition says the first Perry mm. goes to you, I yes. can't go on without um, congratulating Richard in Manchester for a live period just there. Yes. Uh, calling Alistair Campbell, Andrew Campbell. Andrew Campbell, yes. Yes, a live so, perrier in the perriers. That's yes. actually the first time that's ever happened. It's Very happened good. Before, so congratulations. Well done. Well done, Richard. Um, but now the the first proper perrier, Mike. It goes to you. Thank is you. the honest comment of the week. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter live streaming. So you can watch me. Uh, even if you don't like the way I look, you might not like what I say. But just watch it anyway, because then we'll all make more money. <laughs> 
doesn't yes. get more honest than that. Listen, honesty in journalism, this is where you, where you get that kind of stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we don't pretend. No, of no. course not. Not here. Not Maybe here. in other places. In other places, here. but not here. During a conversation with a criminal barrister in front of a show, Jerry Hayes, you also won the Perrier for a fair comment of the week. They could be in custody for a year. Yeah. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. To be fair, if it was up to me, Jerry, all prisons would be locked down anyway, because that's what they're meant to be, isn't it? I mean, it's a prison version. So. <laughs> I mean, there, there is a point to that. There is a fair point you know, to imagine that. Imagine saying they're in lockdown in prison. Really? Well, that's, that's, isn't, that's that prison? isn't that the Just point? Prison. Oh, well. Tragically, it's not, you see. They get more... I mean, as somebody pointed out uh, to me mm. the other day when we were talking about BBC licence fees and going to prison for not paying them, when you go into prison, you can watch it for free. <laughs> That's very ironic, isn't yeah. it? I mean, there was a point at which, as well, in Scotland, where they had a... a you could be uh, threatened with prison if you were smo- a, you know, sort of continually smoking in a place where you weren't supposed to smoke. But when you got into prison, you know, when they banned smoking... Yeah. Oh, yeah. But when you got into prison, you could smoke. You smoke everywhere in prison. You could. I don't know if they've changed it now. But in the days when, when they first banned smoking in Scotland, yeah. inside, the only place you could still smoke inside was in a prison. <laughs> can't make this up, can you? You really can't. Stuff from the thick of it, Amazing. doesn't it? Uh, on Monday, we spoke to Jane Gilday from Twinkle to learn more about handwriting. Mm. And she won a pair for the classic Dog of the Week. Just just letting them have a go. Yeah. Um, you know, keep practising those. Um, there's not really anything more that... <laughs> that was an angry dog. That I think. was quite an angry dog. Hungry sounded. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Well, you would know because you've got a dog. You can tell. Well, I didn't even tell you the story about the Scotch eggs, but it's on the Salt Police podcast. That oh I yeah. Took two Scotch eggs down on Friday last week, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, they didn't make it. Um, <laughs> I put them on. I, I put the bag on the floor. Yeah. And I went out to get something else from the car. Came back. Dog's face was in the bag, <laughs> head head deep. Very unexpected. Yeah, I'm afraid. I assume. Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, bless. I mean, he's obviously got a nose for scotch eggs. A substantial meal, isn't it? Well, it is. He had well, two. Well, there you go. <laughs> Good for him. I know. Uh, back to you, Mike. This time, off the back of a news bulletin early in the week, mm. you want to parry for the question of the week. Uh, I'm sorry. Why would you want to count elephants from space? I mean, that's a, quite an extraordinary news item. That I mean, fascinating as ever, the news read by Jenny there. Um, why would you want to count elephants from space? Hey, eh? I mean, I wonder if they could count the number of people at the inauguration yesterday from space. They wouldn't need an abacus, would they? There weren't that many people there. You see, politics. It's all topical. Interstellar. What they didn't tell us is uh, how many elephants they counted. Why were they doing it? Did anybody find out? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Why would you? Maybe it's to see whether you can. You know how you can see the Great Wall of China from space and all Uh that stuff? Apparently. Maybe it's to see whether you can actually count elephants. Is it like counting sheep? You know, when you're supposed to be having trouble sleeping, you're supposed to count sheep. Have you ever done that, by the way? Yes doesn't work because you know for a long time i didn't realize how you're supposed to do it apparently you're supposed to count them jumping over a fence uh, did you know that no i didn't know that you see you're like me i used to count <laughs> them i'd just count them in a field yeah yeah and then i would run out i would just list them i, would, right. I wouldn't even picture them in a field right and so then i would run out of sheep to you know, count them all and then i'd sort of wait <laughs> what am i going to do now well that's a good whereas point. if you have them jumping over this fence mm. They can be, they go forever. Is it the same sheep jumping all the time or different No, it sheep? could be different ones. Oh, so okay. they can have different faces, different colours. Oh, that's good. You know. That's good to know. I think. Well, I might try that. I couldn't sleep last night. Yeah. I was up until very late last night. Well, you counted all the sheep and then you were still awake. 
Yeah, right. probably. That's I don't know. I mean. I'll try that okay. next time. Um, earlier in the week, in Downing Street, um, uh, denied that Boris Johnson was a fan of yes. uh, of afternoon naps. Which, Why would uh, you bother denying that? Well, I think it's a little bit heartbreaking, and and you know, especially because I'm a big fan of siestas, obviously. Because yeah, if, if you're Spaniard and you don't have a siesta, you're probably deported. Like, right. Absolutely that's right. Treason. Uh, we spoke to a sleep expert, uh, James Wilson, about mm. the benefits of set siestas, and he won an award for the sound effect of the week. Give an example of the difference. If, if that'd help, okay. um, snoring is more like. Right. Where sleep apnea is more choking sound, like more. <laughs> so if, if you. Sorry. Bless. I laughed twice at that. You did? That, <laughs> you that found was it a really great funny. noise, though, yeah. Yeah. No, he's very good at faking the snoring sound. Mm. So, you know, that's always uh, well received. And also, he's right. There is a difference, isn't there? Yes, between there the is. two noises. Mm. There is, and one of them is good, and one of them is really bad. So if you do yes. the second, just go to a doctor, get yourself checked. Yeah, but what are they going to do? I wonder. What do you mean? The doctor. I mean, you know, if you make well, that noise. Well, you you get a machine. Do you? Yeah. Okay. My mum's got a machine. Has she? Yeah, she's got a machine. Okay. She sounds like Darth Vader at night when she sleeps. <laughs> she's probably watching this. So she Sorry. She looks like this. Bum. Many apologies. Yeah. Uh, now to Professor Hugh Pennington, who wins the classic "You've Got Mail" award of the week. And then eventually they go into ICU, and then unfortunately, you know, they they, they die. So so that's. That was quite a loud noise. It was wasn't very it? loud. And there was a few of them as well. Yes, I only collected one because right. um, laziness on my part. No, but, no. You know. Well, once you've heard one, you've heard them <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. There's they ladies. were all the same sound. They There's were. No point. Uh, this week's James Larvin Perry Award for technical incompetence yes. goes to our very own Parliament. Have a listen to what happened on Wednesday during Prime Minister's questions. Ian Blackford. I somehow think we've lost Ian Blackford. We'll come back to him. <laughs> Nicole Richards. I we didn't get the second question from uh, Ian Blackford there, which I'm sure would have been about why uh, Boris Johnson keeps abandoning Scotland and leaving it out of the uh, uh, the reasoning for actually um, uh, asking for more money. Let's see uh, what Nicola Richards has got for him. Can you hear me? <laughs> Speak. Get the question in the Prime Minister's desk. Can you can you hear me? It's not working. Well, no move on. The, and as I was about to say, these are the people that are trying to sort out the COVID vaccine and yes. uh, the way out of this. Yes. They can't even work a Zoom call. Yeah, God help us all. Dear God. <laughs> Mike, congratulations for winning the proper wrong namer of the week. And of course, later on this afternoon, uh, the inauguration of uh, Joe Biden from five o'clock uh, with Mark Nolan. Mark Nolan? Mark Dolan, even. Uh, sorry about that. Well, at least they call him Mark Bolan. No, that is very true. Yeah. However, you're not the only one to make that mistake this week, apart from Richard in Manchester. Someone behind the glass whose name will be protected because I am not that, uh, I'm not a bad person, has been issued with this week's incompetence report. Gareth in Oldham. Hi, Gareth. Is that me? It is you. Welcome. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Stephen. <laughs> oh, are you? Oh, sorry. Well, it says Gareth here, but I'll it's call you right. Stephen. No problem. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I can only, I, I don't know. Well, human error. A human error, yeah. Human error. We'll put it down to that. It's yes, fine. yes, we won't. Happens from time to time. It happens every yeah. now and again, and it's amusing. So thank We've you all done very it. Much. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And that's all for the Perry Awards. Is that it? Yeah, I thought you were going to say, and finally. No. Okay. That was the and finally. Well, thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you. I'm sorry to disappoint. Not at all. You never disappoint. <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio.
Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.